Oh, good morning. Hey, if you're a kid, you can go downstairs right now. There's lots of fun things to do down there. They got snacks and all kinds of stuff. If you're an adult, don't even think about it. You're staying here. No snacks. Sorry. Although that wouldn't be in a bad addition to the service, wouldn't it? Pass out a donut about halfway through. Oh, I'm glad you're here. Um, especially if you're visiting with us. Thanks for giving us a shot today. Um, you know, the, there is a, uh, a thing that happens to me, and maybe it happens to you too when it comes to church, where I'm a list person. I've got lists all over my life, and I think the older I get, the weirder my lists get. Uh, my wife laughs at me because I have lists, and then I have sub-lists, and then I have sub-sub-lists, and then I have bullet points, and then I have little ticks, and, and Risha's like always looking at me going, which list is this on? Yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's getting uglier as I get older. And here's the problem with, with God and with church on Sunday morning. If I'm not careful, this moment just becomes one more thing on my list. Like, check that off, right? And here's the thing about God. This is just true of God. He will not be on your list. It's not a matter of whether or not you should put him on your list. God won't be on your list. He, he wants to be, and he is, above your list. If you've got a list of lists, he's the top one. And if you came in here and he's just one more tick, one more thing to do, one more checkbox on your list, you're, you're going to leave and you might as well have just stayed in bed this morning because it's not who he is. It's not what he wants from you. Here's what he wants. It's actually easier than a list. What he wants is for you to just go, God, whatever you're poking at in my life, now's the time. I'm going to listen. Whatever I trusted this week, whether it was my 401k, my bank account, my retirement fund, whether it was my husband or my wife or my boss or my job, and that's the stuff I put my trust in. I don't put my trust in that right now. I don't want to put my trust in that. I put my hope, all of my hope for peace and joy in you, God. Would you speak into my life? If you'll do that right now, no matter what you believe, if you're listening online and you, you're not even sure you believe this stuff and you just promised your mom or your grandma you would listen to this sermon, um, you're in the right place. If you're here today and you've been following Jesus for a long time but you feel like you're putting it on a list, you're in the right place. If you're here and you want something more from your life than getting out of bed and doing the same thing over and over again every day, you're in the right place today. I want to give you a chance this morning before we get started. Um, probably the most important thing you'll do this week um, is give God that moment in your life. And if you'll do that right now, we're just going to take about 30 seconds. Um, just be quiet. Um, this is a great opportunity for you to be quiet. Um, the Bible says that God spe- speaks in a still, small voice. And it's not because he couldn't wet your pants as speaking as loud as he needed to. But he chose to speak in a still, small voice so you quiet all the junk in your life. All the things that are on your lists, all the things that you put in front of him. This is your chance. So over the next 30 seconds, um, we're just going to be quiet. I did this first service already, um, and I need it again. <laughs> it was just like an hour ago or something, um, and I need to do this again. So I'll give you a chance this morning to do this, and for myself too. 30 seconds, just say whatever you're feeling about God, whatever you believe about God today, just say, God, would you just, would you just stop my life? Just put it on pause for a moment and say something. And then we'll take about 30 seconds to do that, and I'll close this in prayer, and we'll jump in this morning.
God, we just do it over and over again in our lives. We just trust things that aren't you for peace and for hope and for joy, for happiness. We go try to buy a new truck because we think that'll make us happy. We go switch jobs, buy a new mower. And right here, right now, we just acknowledge, no matter what we all believe in this place, that joy doesn't come from that stuff. It goes away so fast. God, right now, we just put our lives on pause. Pray that right here, right now, in this place, that we would not get a good idea for life. That we'd get a self-help moment from a guy standing on a stage who has no business telling people how to live their life. But God, we would get a fresh breath of peace and of knowledge from the creator of the universe. Would it feel like that today? And we'll listen and we'll act. And we'll change. I thank you for the way you love us. Pray that you would make me more than I am. I don't have any business standing up here today if it weren't for you and your stuff. Would you speak through me in your son's name? Amen. Well, we're in the second week of a series called Love Handles, and that is not a picture of me, although I'm starting to feel like that every day more. Um, This is not about uh, gaining weight, losing weight, diets, that kind of thing. This sermon series is about love. It's about getting a handle on the way we love each other. And before you tune out, especially if you're listening online or you're a guy in this place and you think I'm going to give you a Hallmark movie for the next 30 minutes, this is not going to be emotional, that kind of a thing about love. The thing is, our culture, when it talks about love, um, you know, whether it's Air Supply, Foreigner, Boston, um, whether it's something new that I probably will mess up if I try to say, um, whatever it is, our culture believes that love is this ethereal kind of untouchable thing. They know what it feels like. Um, they, they can even describe it in a lot of different ways, but they believe it's this kind of un, un, untouchable, ethereal thing. When Jesus was on earth, he believed that love was tangible, that it was practical, that there were some real specific things you could do to love people. And not just to love people, but here's the secret, and here's the thing that Jesus talked about so many times, is that when you choose love like that, when you choose to do love in a different kind of a way, it will change your life. It will change what you do. It'll change how you feel when you get up in the morning. This changes everything. What I have to say today is not just another good idea for how to get better at your life. The thing about Jesus is over and over and over again, people followed him who didn't even believe in him. Did you know today you don't even have to believe in Jesus to follow him? Most people didn't when he was on earth, when they started. They followed him because when they did life the way he talked about doing life, it felt like they were in line with the way life was supposed to be. That this is, their, this is the thing they've been missing. And this, this sermon series is about getting in line with the way that God intends for us to do life. And when we do it, it changes us. It changed the world once. This is what changed the world once. It was Jesus being on earth and loving people different. Today I want to talk to you about a guy named Matthew. Um, and This is a real historic figure, whether you believe in the Bible or not. This is a man who lived um, over 2,000 years ago um, who was a tax collector. And the idea of a tax collector at that point was... Um, was a, a person that was you could you could just kind of paint the picture of the villain of life, and this was a tax collector. This guy would be the guy that in our day would be driving a Beamer or a Mercedes or, or a Lamborghini up to work every day, and then would steal money from people who didn't have any already. 
And he would just get richer while the poor got poorer. And he would take money for, for the government, and then he would pocket whatever he wanted to for himself. And so he was pointed at and thought of as the worst of the worst in the culture. And one day, Jesus is looking for people who want to follow him. He is looking for people who don't want to follow him. He's just looking for human beings who are far from God and who don't feel what they want to feel from life. And, and, and there's no way of knowing exactly how Matthew felt, but when you live a life like Matthew was living, you've got to feel this isn't the way I want to live my life. And so Jesus walks up one day, and he's with a posse. He's with his, his group of guys um, that are staying close to him, and sometimes they understand what he's talking about, and most of the time they don't. They just know they want to follow this guy because they feel different when they live the way he says. So they're all walking, and one day they run into this guy named Matthew, and every, everybody that Jesus was around would have known who Matthew was. He was the worst of the worst. He was the guy you point to when you talk about evil. And Matthew's standing there and, and, and probably taking money from people as Jesus sees him, and he says, Hey, Matthew. Matthew goes, what? That's a religious guy. What's he talking to me for? Jesus says, hey, Matthew, I want you to come follow me. I want you to come do the kinds of things that I'm doing. I want you to come and live a different kind of life. Now, the guys who were standing around Jesus at the time would have gone, you don't know who you're talking to, Jesus. I thought, I thought you would know more about this culture. I thought you'd know more about this thing. Matthew is not your man. He is not the guy you want following you. And Jesus goes, no, Matthew, here's the thing. I want you just like you are right now. Now, wait a minute. The disciples would have said to, thought to Jesus, but doesn't he need to change first? Like, doesn't he need to be a better person before he follows Jesus? Jesus goes, no, that's the whole point of this thing. You get this whole thing backwards. This whole thing is messed up. You, you, you think you've got to believe? You think you've got to start following me? You think you've got to do all these things, and then you can come be where I am? No. Jesus says, I love you, Matthew, and I want you where you are right now. But then here's the second part of that. He says, Matthew, I love you way too much to leave you there. (laughs) I want want more for you than what you're living with. This was the invitation of following Jesus. It wasn't get your life right. It wasn't pretend to be better. It wasn't be religious, and then you can follow Jesus. It was right where you are. You can follow him, and that's what leads you to the kind of life that you wanted to leave, live from the beginning. So Matthew got that moment, and it was an aha moment for Matthew, that somebody like Jesus would say, come follow me, and he began to follow Jesus. Now, do you think for a second that he, at that moment, sold his Mercedes and got rid of all his stuff and, and started living a totally different life? No, 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 he wouldn't have. It would have taken a while. But over the course of Matthew's life and over the course of what we read in the Bible, we see that Matthew starts to understand Jesus differently. He starts to look at love and look at life differently because of the way Jesus treated him. And so I want to set that up for you today. You should never read this stuff. You should never hear the Bible or read the Bible without any context for who's writing it and why they're writing it. So Matthew is writing to a group of people who have forgotten this about Jesus. What they think Jesus is, no offense here, they think that Jesus is a one time a week, show up, sit in a blue pew, check him off your list, and go back and live whatever life you want to live. The truth is it never was that way. You can call yourself a Christian. You can call yourself whatever you want to call yourself. But the people who were really following Jesus didn't do it just at church. It was a day in, day out thing. And Matthew says, if you want the life that you've always wanted, if you want that thing that you suspected is deeper than anything else in your life, this is where it's at. And he begins to write to people and Matthew um, chapter 18 is where I want to start today, but when I was in college, I was in Bible college, I had a a professor um, for a a class called Life of Christ, 
And man, it gives me a cold chills to think about it. It was not my favorite class. Um, not because I don't love Jesus, but because I didn't love school, you know, and I had to learn about Jesus. And chapters five, six, and seven of Matthew are thought of as the best sermon ever written. This is called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus gets to stand in front of a whole group of people who don't believe. And some people are religious and want to kill him already. Some people are irreligious and want to, you know, make fun of him. And he's got to speak to all those people and he just throws down. I mean, he just lays down this beautiful piece of sermon that if you're going to be a preacher, you learn and you figure out how he did it. And my professor said, your final in this class is to take a blank sheet of paper and write down Matthew's chapter five, six, and seven word for word. Every period, every comma is a point. And that's how I learned Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. And it became this academic thing to me until I had kids. <laughs> and I wanted more for them out of God. I wanted more from them out of following Jesus. And we, my wife and I began to, to look into Matthew in a little bit different way. And this, this chapter, Matthew chapter 18, is one of the things that changed my life. And it's part of why I wanted to incorporate this into my sermon about love today. Matthew starts this. He says the whole group of people are following Jesus. Some people believe, some people don't. But everyone who's following him knows there's something different about him. That, that, live, that being close to him makes them feel something that they have suspected from the beginning of their life that they wanted. Something deep in their soul. And he says about that same time that all these people were following him, the disciples, Excuse me, the disciples, the people closest to Jesus, these really tight-knit people with Jesus who still didn't quite understand, they were just following him everywhere. They came to Jesus and asked this question that lots of people were asking at the time. And they said, they said this, who gets the highest rank in heaven? Who is it that gets the highest rank um, in the kingdom of God? Who's the most important? And the reason they asked this question is the same reason we kind of do this today. They looked around and they saw the government and they saw the army um, and the military around them and everybody was trying to move up the list in the rankings. And these were poor people, really poor individuals that Jesus chose to follow him. And people who were low in class and did not get to move up and they wanted to be higher on the list. We still do it today. You meet a guy and you shake his hand and you say, hey, what's the first thing you ask? What do you do? <laughs> and what you're secretly hoping is, I hope what he does is less important than me. And by the way, I wonder how much money he makes, right? This is the same question they're asking. God, how do we, how do we come great in your kingdom? Because that's what we really want. We want to be bigger. We want to be better. We want to be more thought of. And Jesus says, you guys have it backwards. And if you're pursuing that, and even if you're sitting here today and that's what you're pursuing, Jesus knows that there is something about you as a human being that will not get what you're looking for. You can't ever get high enough on a list of money or of rank to get what you're looking for. He says, for the answer to this, Jesus called over a kid, a child. We don't know whether it was a boy or a girl. I hope it was a girl in my own head because at this point in history, um, there were two parts of society that were thought of as less than everyone else, children and women. And if he had a, a, a girl come up there, just a young girl, it would have just been perfect. It wouldn't have surprised me at all if Jesus did this. The way Jesus treated children and women changed the world. And to this day, countries who have decided to follow Jesus, groups of people who decided to follow Jesus, women and children are better off because of it. Still not right. We're still messing this up. But Jesus elevated women and children. And in this moment, where, where most, especially men in this culture, thought of children as cattle or a mule, somebody that was useful for a while, they wouldn't even name their kids often until they were old enough to be useful. And Jesus says, uh-uh, 
Not in God's world. In fact, Jesus takes this little kid and he brings him to the middle. These kids would have been all over the place all the time because they weren't babysitters. They weren't daycares. They would have followed the parents wherever they were. Jesus grabs one of these kids. He puts him in the middle. And I can't imagine what it would have been like to be this kid in a room full of adults who scare me and treat me weird and who I know my place at. Jesus goes, you know who the highest ranking person is to God? This one. And man, this makes the men mad. It makes the women hopeful. And it makes the children love Jesus more than anyone they've ever loved. In fact, at one point, Jesus said, let the children come to me. Which just seems like a good thing to write on your wall in the children's ministry department of your church. But when Jesus said it, it was earth-shattering. For him to say, not only let the children come to me, but if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, if you want to be great in life, this is if you want that thing you've been looking for since high school and you thought it was money or you thought it was that girl or you thought it was that thing and every time you get something, it, it leaves you wanting more. Jesus said, this is the thing you've been looking for. You end up like this child who just believes, who just keeps pursuing this thing they believe and then who just loves. You know, I was writing this sermon Tuesday night, I think. Maybe Thursday night. Yeah, I was later in the week because I was getting panicked. Normally I write early in the mornings and it's been one of those kind of weeks and it was late in the evening and Reese wasn't doing his homework. I have a nine-year-old named Reese and I love this kid like crazy, but he is at that annoying age where everything's a question. Hey dad, 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 dad. And he's got to start it with dad. He can't just ask a question. So I just hear it all the time. Dad, 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 dad. I'm trying to write this sermon and, and I'm writing this whole thing and I hear him going, dad, 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 dad. And finally I go, what? And he looks over and he goes, what are you doing? And these words came out of the mouth of your preacher. I'm writing a sermon on love. Get away from me. Because <laughs> I can talk about it all day long. I can sing, all you need is love. I can sit up here and tell you stories about how much I love my kids. <laughs> and then I can put myself above them over and over and over again. Guess how I went to bed that night? It's not the person I want to be. This is not the life I want to live. This is not the kind of thing I'm even preaching about. Jesus says, if you want to be great, you will find ways of taking yourself and putting them beneath even the children in here. At one point, Jesus said this, or uh, Paul said this about Jesus. He said, Jesus was all of all God and all men at the same time. He was man and God at the same time. So he could have done anything he wanted to do. But what he did is that he took his godness and he folded it up. It's a beautiful picture. He folded it up like it was a robe and he set it aside. And he said, I'm going to take myself, even though I'm God, I'm going to take myself and I'm going to put it below everyone I come in contact with. It changed the world. And if you would do it, if I would do it, it would change my world. It would change your world. It's the thing you've been looking for. And then Jesus says this thing. He has this little kid, and he's talking about this is what you want to be. You want to have this simple way of thinking about God. You want to have this simple way of thinking about life that you're not outranking anybody. And then he says this thing that's haunting, especially if you have kids or if you're in charge of kids. He says this thing. He says about the same time. Or next slide, sorry. He says, what's more? He's still, whole, he's still got this little kid. He says, what's more? When you receive the childlike people in your life. You know what a childlike person is in your life? Anybody who is vulnerable. Anybody who has their, somebody under, is under somebody's thumb. Anybody who is a little bit disadvantaged in life. 
He said, what's more, when you receive the child like on my account, that's where I am. It's like you're receiving me. I have a person in my family, her name is Katie. She's 20 years old and she has autism, like severe autism. I never know what to do with Katie. I'm great with people. You know, if you can talk to me and we can have a conversation, I can shake your hand and high five you. I'm great with that. But Katie's hard for me. I don't know how to deal with her. Every day, Katie bounces this big yellow ball out, out near my driveway. She lives right next door to me. And I've got this long driveway, and she bounces it near the driveway. And here's what your preacher thinks of when he comes home. Man, I hope Katie's not out there today because I'm too tired. That vulnerable person who needs a touch from God. So this past week, Katie has no social cues. She doesn't take any social cues that maybe I'm annoyed or I've had a long day or I'm just not in the mood. And she came right out, stood right in the middle of the driveway with her big yellow ball, just like this. She saw my car came up. And I parked right in front of her. She came around to the window. She said, we have got to get together. It's the first way she starts every conversation. And I decided at that moment, I have two choices. I can be a jerk. Katie won't even know. She won't even really realize that much that I'm being a jerk, right? Or I could say, what in this moment if I just try this thing that Jesus does? If I just decide for a moment that Katie and her yellow ball are more important than me and whatever I thought was important today. That at this moment, I have intersected a place where God wants me to treat a human being better than I have ever treated her. What if I just tried it for a moment? So I got out of my car, which I had never done when she does this to me. And her eyes lit up. And we started throwing the ball back and forth. She had a conversation about cartoons and stuff that I have no idea what we were talking about. And it didn't matter at all. For one moment, I got out of my stupid world and put myself below her. Just for a moment gave her back her ball, and I said, I really do have to go now, Katie, but we will get together. I got in the car, and I drove up. Guess who was changed that evening? I hope Katie. I don't know. I think this is the thing I've been waiting for. This is the thing I've needed in my life. When I, when I got to my house, when I walked up to, the, to my door, I was different. This is what Jesus was talking about. This is the thing you've been looking for. When you get a handle on the kind of love that Jesus has for people who are vulnerable, it changes you. It leads you to be the kind of human being that you've always wanted to be and get a better perspective on life. Jesus says this. He says, if you don't deal with Katie differently, John, If you miss opportunities in your life over and over again, if you refuse to stop your car and put your stupid things behind someone who is vulnerable, Jesus said it's a big deal for you and it's a big deal to God. He says if you bully them or you take advantage of them and their trust, you will wish you hadn't. That makes me nervous. I don't know what he means for sure, but I don't want to be on the other side of that. He says, you'd be better off dropped in the middle of a lake with a millstone around your neck. Imagine Jesus standing. This is the kind of thing that got Jesus killed. Didn't have anything to do with his religion. Religion, people give or take. It was life. Jesus said, you treat these kids better. And if you don't, you're better off with a stone around your neck thrown into the water than what God feels about you. It's a pretty scary moment. Jesus knows this. 
Jesus has an authentic love for vulnerable people. And he expects those who follow him to have the same. If you're here today and you're not sure you're even ready to follow Jesus, you're kind of off the hook with this for a second. You can treat people however you want. But if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is and you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, this is not an option for you. This is, this is not an option. And if you're sitting here today and you go, you know, people like Katie scare me to death and I just kind of get away from them and I don't know. You need to be praying just like I'm trying to pray every day. God, help me feel about vulnerable people the way you feel. Not avoid them. Look for them. And love them the way you do. Jesus has an authentic love for vulnerable people. A practical, daily, consistent love for these people. So then Matthew says Jesus continues. Like that wasn't enough. I don't know. The little kid probably ran away and he kind of let her go back to whatever she was doing. And next, Matthew, next slide there. The next thing Jesus says is, Okay, guys, look at it this way. You can imagine Jesus kind of rolling up his sleeves and the little girl runs away and he's got everybody's attention. He's made some people really mad. And he said, guys, look at it this way. You think Jesus is going to soothe things a little bit, make people feel better, especially the religious people? Just give them a break. You just gave them a really hard thing. And Jesus goes, no, let me just push that a little further. He says, if someone has a hundred sheep, my guess is there was a shepherd close. This is the way Jesus taught. You guys see those sheep over there? If someone has a hundred sheep and a um, hundred sheep and one of them wanders off. One of them goes away. Doesn't he leave the 99 and go after the one? A good shepherd does. After he finds it, doesn't he make far more over it than the 99 who'd stayed put? My guess is he looked over at the religious leaders, these pious religious people who believe they had a corner on God. And he says, hey guys, this is God. You guys think you have a corner on God. You know where God is? You know what God's doing on a daily basis? You know what God's daily work is? It's going after the one sheep. You guys think it's all about you. This kind of thing got Jesus killed. Because religious people, religious people want it to be about them. Can't we just sit in a blue pew and hear about the fruits of the Spirit? You know, we got to get ourselves better first, Right? These are, the, these are the things religious people have been saying for a long time. We've got to work on us first. And then once we're good, once we're right, then we'll go out to the world. Yeah, good luck on that. When's that going to happen? You ever going to be right? Nope. Jesus says, you want to be like God? You want to love like I do? You'll go after the one. You'll go after people who are far from God. You'll be looking for people who are far from God. Most religious people, most churches in Bloomington, Indiana right now today, 99.9% of churches in Bloomington, Indiana are saying, oh, let's bring people in. Let them come in these doors and come on, we'll, we'll leave our doors open. But what they're secretly hoping is if they come in here, they better believe what we believe and they, or they better shut up. And if they come in here, they better live how we live or they better not live. That's what they believe. Jesus says, this is not the love you've been looking for. This is not the life you want. The love that God has is out there looking for broken people all the time. Those who are far from God are the ones he's after. I was at a church of about 5,000 people. I was on staff, and I couldn't believe how often we did this. Um, and when I look back on it, it blows my mind that we would sit in rooms um, with 20 or 30 paid staff members, and we would try to decide what we were going to do as a church. We would create plans and programs and all these things, and then we would pray, God, bless this program. It wouldn't have anything to do with hurting people. wouldn't have anything to do with people who are far from God. I'm just going, what are we doing? We know where God is. We know what God is doing. 
God is looking at the broken people. God is out looking for the one. And we're going to sit in our church and pray that he stays here? No. Does he love the sheep that are in the church? Absolutely. It's his family. But where is God? What is God doing? Northside Christian Church. You want to move forward as a church? You want the blessing of God? The blessing of God is where he is. It's with the vulnerable. It's with the far from God. It's what God wants from this place. It's what God wants from human beings, and it's what you've been looking for your whole life. Jesus has an authentic love for people who are far from God. And he expects his followers to as well. This is an amazing opportunity that Northside has right now. This church has a, an incredible opportunity in Bloomington. You know how I many churches right now have paid staff members that if they had to let them go or they had to make a change, it would change families and it would be really hard. Guys, right now are in this moment of, like, we don't have a full-time staff member. That sounds like a bad thing, but it could be a great thing. What if this was an opportunity to say, we are going after the one with God? We don't have to sit around in circles and try to decide what's the next best thing to do. We're just going to hold on. Because God, if we go where God is, we just hold on. And who knows where it takes us. And we expect the mess that comes with it. We expect broken people. And we, this is what God has called us to be and do. And this is the life we've always wanted. Well, at that point, Matthew chapter 18, it's just part of the story. Jesus says this, that Jesus says that God's focus is on people who are far from him. And that our focus should be there too. And man, now he's got everybody mad. I mean, now he's got everybody thinking and trying to go, but, but you don't really mean, yeah, that's what I mean. And you don't really mean, yeah, that's what I mean. And finally, somebody speaks up. Somebody finally talks. Same guy that always is, Peter. He's, all, he's always got to talk, you know. And Peter steps up and he, he gets the guts. Matthew says he finally gets the guts and he says to Jesus, hey, hey, Jesus, can you imagine this? In the midst of Jesus talking about broken people and all these things, he goes, hey, Jesus, yeah, but how many times should I forgive somebody? <laughs> Jesus is like, man, love, guys, is not just about the next person in front of you and what they did to you. He said, uh, Jesus said this over and over. What's a big deal, Matt, if you love your wife? If you're a follower of Jesus and you love your wife, good for you. You should love your wife. But so does your neighbor who doesn't follow Jesus. That's not the kind of love we're talking about. We're talking about a love that's bigger, a love that's where God loves. It's, it's, it's outside of that. And it... Here, Peter says, but it's just about me, right? Jesus goes, let me put this into perspective. Peter says, and I don't know if Peter was, if he had had somebody in his life that he had literally forgiven and was keeping score. But he says, seven's a big number in the Bible, and it could just have something to do with that. But he says, should I just forgive someone seven times if they mess me over? Like the people in my life, whether it's my brother or my sister, whether it's somebody that I'm connected to or not, should I just forgive them about seven times? Does that sound right to you, Jesus? He wants Jesus to go, yeah, man, that's enough. Don't be a floor, don't be a floor mat to people. You know, you just, you, you don't be a floor mat to people. Seven times is enough. That's what he wants Jesus to say. So he can go back and go, hey, that's all. I'm out. Score seven to nothing and you're gone. And Jesus goes, dude, you missed it. I don't think he said dude. It's not in that translation anyway. Like, you missed it. The answer is not seven. It's 70 times seven. I picture Peter with a calculator. Okay, so how many? <laughs> no, no, no. It, there is no limit. Well, this just really gets people mad. So we're, what are we, floor mats? What, do we just let people walk all over us? Is that who we are as followers of Jesus? 
Jesus goes, you having a problem with this, guys? Yeah, I'm having a problem with it. You should see what my neighbor did to me. You should see what they... You don't understand, Jesus. It, you, you, you say these big things, but if you knew my situation, you'd give me a pass. Because, man, I'm telling you, in my situation, with my thing, that guy or that girl or that person, it's different. Jesus goes, let me tell you a story. That's what he did, and you know you're in trouble. You know you're about to get your toes stepped on. Jesus says, let me tell you one more story. Matthew records it. Here it is. So after the 70 times 7 thing, next slide, he says, oh, well, first I'll tell you about this. See, here's what Peter was doing. Here's what Peter was doing. Peter was keeping score. You know what a scorecard looks like in your relationships, right? Now, maybe you don't really have one physically like this one, but say Jim and Sue were married. They've been married a long time. And Jim goes, hey, uh, Sue says, hey, why didn't you do the dishes? And Jim says, because I was out mowing the yard. Why didn't you mow the yard? Because I... Sue says, I've done the dishes the last four times. Jim said, I've done them three. I said, well, I mowed the yard four. Well, I've done them one. And you get to this point where you start keeping score. I did the bills. You did the laundry. I did, And then you start forgiving. Yeah, but you did that thing and I forgave you. Well, apparently you didn't because you just brought it up again. I completely forgot about that thing you did when you're, what thing? No, you didn't forget it. And you keep score. You already know this. This is no way to do life. This is no way to do life. This leads you to the kind of life you Everybody else lives. Jesus says, Peter, you want the life you're looking for? You want that thing that's at the heart of everything you desire in your life? You've got to trash the scorecard. Gone. No more scorecard. The answer is, why, why would I do that? Why would I trash a scorecard? That person owes me something. Why would I throw it away? They don't deserve me to forgive them. And Jesus says, let me tell you a little story. This is the story I was getting to. This is how I want to end this sermon today and how Jesus ended this conversation. I think people probably just walked away quietly. Matthew chapter 18, verse 23. Jesus says, okay, the kingdom of God is like this. He says, it's like a king who decided to square accounts with his servants. See, this happened a lot in this culture. What would happen is a king would decide a lot of people owed him, the government. Um, a lot of people owed the government. And the king would just decide, hey, we're in too much debt. I'm going to square up all the accounts. So he would go into your house and he would say, hey, you owe me $35,000. Your car's worth this. Your house is worth this. We're gonna, I'm going to take all those. I'm going to sell it. And you're out. You're just, that's what you owe me. And he would do that every now and then. And Jesus says, this was the situation. The king wanted to square up accounts. So as he got underway doing this, one servant brought before for him, this was a person who had owed him $100,000. And now Jesus is just making up this story. But this is a real life scenario. This happened a lot at this time in history. So people know this is real. Jesus said he found a guy who owed him $100,000. How are you going to pay that? He doesn't have any money. doesn't have any way to pay it. So the, the king says this. And this was part of the laws in some of the kingdoms in that area. He couldn't pay up. So the king ordered the man, along with his wife, children, and goods, to be auctioned off at the slave market. You don't have the money? And have to sell yourself and your family. How awful that would be. How quiet that room must have gotten. Because they've seen it happen. Oh, wouldn't the king have mercy on this man and his family? So this man goes to the king. The poor wretch threw himself at the king's feet and begged, Give me a chance. Just give me a chance to pay this off. Imagine it were you. Give me a chance before you take my family and my life. Touched by his plea, the king let him off and he raised his debt. Thank goodness, right? This man, wouldn't he just be so thankful? Wouldn't he understand forgiveness in a whole new way? Wouldn't he get that debt forgiven is life changing? 
Boy, you'd think so. Jesus says the story continues. That very man who had just been given a a, a forgiveness over a debt of $100,000 went out and no sooner did he get out of the room when he came upon one of his fellow servants, someone else, who owed him 10 bucks. He took the man and he said, I want my 10 bucks right now. And he choked him around the neck. The man couldn't pay him. So the poor wretch threw himself down and begged, give me a chance and I'll pay it back. Does this sound familiar? I mean, the man had just left the king where he said the exact same thing. But he wouldn't do it. He had him arrested and put in jail. The gasp from the crowd. What a jerk. What an idiot who'd been given forgiveness for $100,000 and couldn't forgive a $10 bill. What an idiot, what a jerk, what a mean person. And Jesus says, that's you, Peter. When you ask me how many times you should forgive someone, when you withhold forgiveness because you think that person owes you something, that's you. And it's killing you. It's not leading to the life you want to live. thing about Jesus and his love is that he's after the vulnerable. He's looking for vulnerable people. The thing about Jesus and his love is that he is looking for people who are far from God. And the thing about Jesus and his love is that he doesn't keep score. When he finds the vulnerable, when he finds the people who are far from God, when he finds Christian people who haven't been living the way God intended, who haven't been loving outside of pews on Sunday morning, there's no scorecard. Thank God Jesus doesn't keep score. Today as the band comes up, I want the stories of Jesus to sink in with you. Who in your life stands next to your life with a big yellow ball wanting your attention, needing a moment with you. I don't know who it is. Who in your life is far from God? If you don't have, if you can't answer that question, if you say to me, I don't know anybody that's far from God, you're in the wrong places. Jesus looked for it. He spent time in places where people were far from God. You're missing out if you're a Christian person and all you do is surround yourself with people who believe what you believe and think how you think and feel how you feel. It's not the way Jesus lived and it's not the life he anticipates for you. Today, maybe you're here, maybe you're, um, you've never accepted this scorecard forgiveness thing. You've never, you're still living in this world where you feel guilty for all the things you've done. Maybe today's the day for the first time you get to say, God, I want my scorecard erased. That same Jesus that lived this life of love would die on a cross, his arms spread out. And when he died, he believed and his his disciples believed later that he was dying for us today, right here. For the people who are far from God. For the people who have a big scorecard mounted out and need it forgiven. Today's your day. I don't know how you feel today. I don't know how far you, are, you feel from God, but today's the day to say, I want that. I'll give you a chance to do that during this time. We're going to sing this song and these stairs are available if you need prayer today. If you want to make that decision for the first time, most of you in this place have said, I want my scorecard forgiven. I want it done. And you did it many years ago and many of you are sitting here right now and you've got a tally for a whole group of people in your life. Today's the day to say, God, the response I have to their scorecard is the response you had to mine. It's over. Would you do it today? 
Would you choose a physical, practical way of loving people, of taking yourself and putting it beneath them? Not just because it's the right way to live life, because it was done for you. I give you a chance to do that this morning. God, we thank you for the way you love us. In this place right now, we choose you. Would you help us understand what it means to love the way you love? We thank you for the way you love us. Would there be hearts in this room who need that for the first time today? Would be hearts in this room today, God, who forgot that they got that forgiveness and have been holding things against other people? God, would that be free today? Would you be honored in your son's name? Amen.